Hey folks, and welcome back to the Anti-Diet Club podcast. Before we get going with this week's episode, I, Gillian, am excited to let you know that for the first time this year, I've opened doors to the Anti-Diet Club Food and Body Freedom Group Coaching Programme. So for those of you that are unaware of what this program is, it's an immersive eight-week program for those folks who are looking to heal their relationship with food and find peace in their body. It's a program that I've run maybe about seven or eight times now. I ran it four times last year, have not run it so far this year, but plan on um, starting the next cohort in September, Tuesday, the 6th of September for eight weeks. This program is really open to anyone, anywhere in the world who are on their food and body healing journey. But I found this program to be particularly useful for those who kind of intellectually get this whole idea of intuitive eating and body acceptance, have a curiosity around it, feel like maybe this is actually what might help you feel better in your body and your relationship with food. But you have a hard time having it sink into your bones and really feel it and live it. So this eight-week container is going to be involving yourself in an intentional process of doing the work. And what better time than to do it in September and to do it in a group. There are a few places left. If you're interested in joining, go to my website, which is www.gillianmccollum.com forward slash group dash coaching. Um, there should be a pop-up as soon as you get onto my website. There's also a link in the show notes. If you have any questions, um, send me a message either through the podcast or on Instagram. And I hope to see you there. And on with this week's episode. Welcome back to the Antidote Club podcast. This is a show for people looking to heal their relationship with food and their body. And I'm one of your hosts, Tamsin Broster. And I'm Gillian McCollum. We are anti-diet coaches on a mission to disrupt diet culture. From this podcast, you can expect fortnightly episodes around topics such as body acceptance, intuitive eating, and dismantling anti-fat bias. We also like to share our own experiences and insights to help you discover a life outside of dieting. You can find us on Instagram on the handle at the the Anti-Diet Club podcast, and you can find details of how to work with both of us in the show notes. All right, let's get straight to this episode. We were super excited to interview this person they were on our list from the very beginning right when we when we were thinking about who we would want to bring on to help um share this message of um dismantling anti-fat bias the the dangers of fat phobia and who better than dr asher larmy right Yes. Okay. The fat doctor. Um, yes, we followed their work for such a long time. We had them on the list from the beginning, like you said, um, and really kind of into season three, I think it's a really good time to bring them in to talk about, you know, medical fat phobia and the harm that it causes, because we know that lots of our listeners have questions around this stuff that, you know, maybe they're, they're sort of struggling to find answers to. And I think Asha, you know, gave so, 
give so much, you know, during a podcast interview and just shared with us so many different insights that I think is going to be absolutely brilliant. Um, and you're right, we do get excited about every single guest because every single person brings something new and something exciting to um, another episode. So yeah, super excited yeah. about this one. Yeah, and particularly with Asher, right, who um, I think we, once we get into the episode, you'll learn, you know, their journeys through this stuff, which hasn't been terribly long, but um, having been following their journey on social media throughout the last couple of years, um, they really, really put themselves out there because their message, our message, this entire anti-diet message is countercultural. It's not a message that people want to necessarily hear, right? It is yeah. difficult. Um, and Asher continues to put themselves out there um, at, I would say, a real risk to their own well-being, right? F- which could be said for any um, activist, I-, I suppose, but particularly um, fat activists who um, are continually, you know, um, being threatened and 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 having really unkind things said about them and it's I'm just in such awe of them for continuing this really really important work um and staying true to their values yeah absolutely because you know they've had so much thrown at them you know Instagram accounts shut down and you know trolling and you know, reports to the GMC also, you'll, you'll hear a lot about some of that stuff as we go through the interview. Um, and it's also worth noting before we get started, um, there are some sound issues, um, just some feedback issues on the microphones as we were going sort of, there was three of us on the call. So um, we just apologize for that as we go through, but should we get, should we let them uh, listen to it now? Absolutely. Let's head over to the conversation. So we are super excited to welcome to the podcast, Dr. Asher Larmy. I have followed Asher's work for probably about, I want to say maybe a year and a half now on social media. Um, it's been such an interesting ride. Um, their work is so important in um, the times that we find ourselves in. And um, yeah, I'm going to ask them to do a much better introduction of themselves than I've just done. Um, so over to you, Asher. Welcome to the podcast. First of all, thanks so much for having me. I love doing podcasts. If I could do podcasts every day, I would. So thank you for having me. I'm going to try and not talk too much today because oh, I normally no, go. Oh, no, don't no, to talk. <laughs> <laughs> normally I go on way too much. So you'll have That's to like, fine. you'll have to like signal to me to stop. So um, I do hate this bit, the introduction bit. I'm Asha. I'm a GP or was a GP until recently. Technically, I still am. But um I will explain more about that later. I am a trans, non-binary, masculine, go by they, them pronouns in case anyone is interested. I um, I do a lot of stuff online. I can't, I don't even know how to describe myself really. I'm an activist, I guess. I am an, an, you know, I am a fat liberationist um, or I am anti weight stigma um specifically in the area of medicine which is you know where I work um and yeah I'm online sometimes I do a podcast sometimes I write stuff sometimes and sometimes I'm just you know just shouting at myself in the mirror because I'm the only one that wants to listen to me but that's okay (laughs) we want to listen to you your work is is massively important (laughs) um so as I alluded to 
when I first came across your work and I think it was December 2020 and you didn't have a big following on social media at the time I came across your work through um Intuitive Eating Ireland is how I how I got in touch with your work and I was completely fascinated by obviously your professional status right to have a GP in the UK who sees these problems and is actively working to try and dismantle it but your own personal journey as well because not really that far before that were you an intentional weight loss advocate right absolutely well I've been an intentional weight loss advocate definitely for the vast majority of my life when I was a kid it's what I did because that's what I was I'd say encouraged to but actually forced to do as a child and then you know I grew up in in the world just like the rest of us have and you know we're taught that there's something wrong with us if we are um not slim and I don't want to say overweight because that that suggests that there is a correct weight there isn't a correct weight but you know if you're not slim if you don't fit into society's standard of what was or what's considered a quote unquote normal body and I was you know a teenager in the 90s so the normal body was the waif was the really 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 slim person so you know if you weren't that person you were on a diet so I just was and I have been on and off most of my life and then I went into medicine and of course it became less about what you look like and more about what was healthy and so I've always been a weight loss advocate and not just professionally, but also personally. And I, I don't think I was very kind of I never hit people around the head with it. Like, you know, in the same way that I never hit people over the head with like non-smoking and stuff like that. You know, I was I wasn't cruel about it, but I very much believed that, you know, anyone who wasn't slim had to diet um, for their health. And, and, you know, for all the other reasons that were internalized in myself. So uh, in the in the year 2000, in May, I turned 40 and it was right at the beginning of the pandemic. And I um, I had to weigh myself as part of like a risk assessment because everyone was saying that if you're fat, you're going to you're going to die of COVID. And, you know, I was literally in the thick of it looking after COVID patients. So um, I weighed myself and I hadn't weighed myself for a while. I was quite horrified by the number on the scales at the time. I just thought that was the end of the world. And so I went on another sort of quite serious weight I was trying to lose a lot of weight in a short period of time because it was COVID um and I thought this time around I would blog about it now I'm not sure what possessed me to write a blog I don't know I was bored or I turned 40 it was it was it was COVID we were like we had to do something right a lot of us did this right so we um I I did this blog and I was I was losing weight and and as as always happens it was great at first I lost a kind of weight really quickly everyone was like oh you're so amazing we're so proud of you we said you know you've got all the all the love and all the support and all the encouragement so it's feeling really good and then I got to a point where again as is almost always the universal response to dieting I stopped losing weight or it slowed right down and at that point in time I was starving I was so hungry I was depressed I was stressed out of my eyeballs because I you know it was a difficult time and I wasn't getting enough nutrition. I was literally not getting enough calories to get through the day. Um, and I started hating myself, hating my body. I mean, this, I don't even need to explain, I don't think, because I think almost everyone has been there at some stage in their life. Mm-hmm. No matter what size body they are, you know, you're trying to lose a few pounds and you can't quite get there and it feels really awful. And then the compliments stop. Um, yeah. I think all our listeners will just be on a hard relate right yeah. now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we definitely are. Yeah, yeah. hard relate. You, you know, you know, you know the story. I don't need yeah. to tell you the story. I don't need to waste time. But anyway, I suppose to say I hit a wall and it was about November or October, November um, 2020. So literally just before you started following me, mm. hit a wall. 
And I was about to pack it all up, like the blog and everything and the diet as well. <laughs> and a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine, um, said, why don't you just write a blog post explaining exactly how you feel? So I did. I wrote this blog post where I was like, life is crap and this is why. And I was really... He sort of said, you know, be honest with people. They like that. They like to be able to relate to people. So I was like, I just put it all on paper or on the internet. And his, his response, I remember the text when he read it, it was like, when you, when you, um, what did he say? Something along like, you, you didn't just, you didn't just lay it on the table. You laid it all on the table or something. He was just like, you really, when you, when you're in, you're in. You go big or go home. So I did put it all out there, literally everything. Um, and I guess from there, people in the kind of anti-diet community, like yourselves, like Intuitive Ikingala was one of the first um, um, accounts I followed, I think. I started following all of these different people and started learning. And it is a journey. You don't know that there is an option not to diet until someone says hey did you know that some people just don't diet yeah and you're kind of like huh really oh yeah and then I you know I came into it through the anti-diet work and um it's a really good place to start and then I got into intuitive eating and I went on an intuitive eating course so this would have been early 2021 um and uh during that time I had been like someone had picked up on what I was doing or I'd been done a couple of interviews and I, I was I was on this morning I remember that. Um, for those who aren't in the UK listening, that's like a, TV, a breakfast TV show. And um, that, it's always controversial. And I knew what I was getting myself into. But that mm. kind of launched me into kind of the social media kind of before I had zero, like, you know, a couple of hundred followers. And then I had like thousands all of a sudden. Um, and, and my journey from there has been that I realised quite soon as I started talking to people and listening, just listening to people with their own experiences they always talked about their doctor. They, I haven't met someone that has that said to me, oh, do you know, I've only ever had positive experiences with doctors and nurses. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, yet to, that's, that's never happened yet. So I realised that we were, uh, we were like a recurring theme. Like my doctor's done this and my doctor has done that. And it was always the same thing. And it seemed to be often the same conditions and it was the same groups of people. Um, and, you know, that there is a, a, a cohort of, of, of fat women, um, often fat women in their 30s and 40s, often have been fat for most of their life or since they were teenagers. Many of them have PCOS. And mm-hmm. There is that cohort, maybe have a bit of fibromyalgia, maybe have, um, you know, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. There is a cohort of people who are absolutely and utterly disbelieved like the, the medical profession yeah. has zero time for this group of people they've failed yeah. them yeah yeah and it is and nothing like this it's like there is no medical care there is a cohort of anybody that holds a marginalized identity so if you're black if you're you know if you're a person of culture if you're trans if you're queer if you're disabled my goodness if you're disabled you are going to experience really really poor health care and if you're fat wow. and disabled you're going to experience Even more so you know it's 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 actually quite shocking the the level of healthcare. also if you're struggling to conceive um you're going to get very very poor healthcare. so you know if you're if you've got metabolic syndrome and you've got a bit of high blood pressure and diabetes maybe you're just gonna be blamed for all of your problems so Mm -hmm. this like quite big I mean this is a large swathe of society right women fat women over the age of 30 that's quite a large population what's really interesting is that when you get to your 70s and 80s being fat is is probably a good thing when we see somebody who's quite 
you know bigger and has some reserves mm-hmm. we know they're going to handle things better if they fall less likely to break a hip you know if they get sick far mm-hmm. more likely to recover mm-hmm. so we're all right when you're much older although I've had heard horror stories but yeah and when you're a baby it's like at the two extremes yeah yeah <laughs> and when you're a baby although you know unfortunately that's becoming less and less yeah when you're a baby too. until you're about one two and then yeah yeah, yeah. And, and then, then it becomes a problem yeah. Yeah. so you know, I realised that our, my profession was really causing a lot of, or was failing. To begin with, I realised my profession was failing people. And then as I started to listen more and more, I realised actually it goes beyond failing. It actually has got to the point where we are actually actively causing harm. And whether we mean to or not, is it's, it's, it's not the point. Um, as doctors, uh, I spoke as a doctor, I'm not a nurse, but, you know, pretty much every medical profession um, or healthcare profession has the same ethos. You know, we are here to do what's in the best interest of our patients. We are here not to cause harm, to make sure that our patients can have make an informed choice. It's about consent um, to, you know, make sure that our patients autonomy is respected at all times to practice fairly um you know and without discrimination you think these are like the tenants of our of, of our profession so we are not it's not just that we're failing our patients it's that we are in breach of our duty of care um yeah. or our code of conduct because your education and culture is so biased right Yes, and I and and that is definitely a problem. And there is a, a, there is an education problem. There's no question mm-hmm. about that. And there is also an in, in, internalized subconscious bias problem that we that exists. But you know, ultimately, um, we can blame these things, and they do have a role to play. But it's still a massive problem. And actually, I don't think we can use it as an excuse. We can definitely use it to understand where the issues are, but it's not an excuse. You can't just kind of go, well, you know, I didn't know any better. You know better than to be mean to your patient. You know better Mm -hmm. than to dismiss their, you know, to dismiss their symptoms without checking. You know, you you can't deny a patient an examination because you don't like the look of them. But yet people are doing this. My colleagues are doing this on a regular basis. My colleagues are refusing to listen to their patients. And I don't care about your education or anything like you have a duty of care to listen to your mm. patient and and there is no excuse for that so I I've kind of become much more involved in 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 in, in speaking to the medical profession quite openly and saying actually I am appalled at the way that we are collectively behaving and I put myself in there you know I'm it's not they it's we but this is not acceptable and this cannot go on and we have to do something about it and I you know whether or not we introduce intuitive eating into, you know, uh, you know, the options that we have for our patients, which would be amazing, by the way. Um, I, there is basics that we that that you we can we cannot allow to 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 go un, unchecked. You know, basic failings in healthcare that, that and, need to be addressed. And I've, can I ask, how has that been received? Um, let's just say I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to work again. Um, wow. I think, I think. We'll see what Scot- Scotland has been great. So Scotland, like East Lothians, for example, um, and Daniel, like this, they um, they they actually hired me to do like on behalf of NHS Scotland, hired me to do a talk about weight stigma. So Scotland's been great. Mm. Um, and you know there are pockets of every country that are interested, but mm. uh, I've had a lot of issues. Um, the the GMC, which is the General Medical Council, that's my that's my um, the body the the medical body that's sort of responsible for my license to practice they hold my license yeah, to practice yeah. in their hands um I've run into trouble with them a couple of times now um and in you know the first time I was a bit scared the second time I was just like oh, 
I'm not having this anymore. So I, I spoke back um, and yeah, I'm not working as a GP anymore. <laughs> so I don't know what to say really. I, I think, you know, I have, I've had recently had a wonderful conversation with my own appraiser. I was doing an appraisal, my own appraisal. Um, and um, she just asked me all these questions and uh, she just got it, you know, and she was so fascinated. Mm. She was, she absolutely agreed with everything I had to say. She said, I've learned so much from you. I'm definitely going to change my practice. The thing is that she was the kind of person that is probably doing a pretty good job on her own. Mm-hmm. Um, the people whom I have come against, like professionals, colleagues that I've come against who come from a different perspective often think, you know, often it's very difficult to get them to see eye to eye. So, for example, I was doing a sort of like an online Twitter I don't know what it's called like you know like like a live on twitter mm-hmm. um i've never done one before but um i was there talking and one of the other guest speakers was um uh, the nhs england's co co-lead for diabetes and quote-unquote obesity and i said you know one of the things i was talking about was actually our evidence our guidance on national guidance on national guidance the nice guidance is is very biased and i've looked at the guidance development and i've actually looked at the papers that you're quoting and they are shockingly bad and so you'll get that all this evidence is poor and we cannot draw any conclusions from it but we're still going to recommend weight loss and i actually put that question to them and said actually i've just been looking at the non-alcoholic fatty liver disease ones and literally every single bit of evidence for weight loss as a, as, a, as a treatment option was was dismissed because it was very poor or poor quality there was no decent quality evidence and they wrote in the guidelines something along the lines of well you know we can't draw any conclusions because of the you know the evidence is biased and yet later on the the gold standard first line and pretty much only treatment is weight loss and i mm-hmm. i said to him how can you condone that that's so unethical and his response i'll never forget it because I was fascinated by it. He said, well, what would you, what else would you have us do? But they just, it's just like, this is how it is. And this is how it will be. And we don't need to, yeah. with, you know, like uh, the evidence might be there, but we just almost like can't be bothered to look at it. Like, cause this is the easy way to, do- I don't understand. Like this just seems absolutely. It's just, sort of, you know, his words were, well, what would you have us do? And I didn't, you know, my, I wish, I wish I'd said at that point in time, well, to start with, you should stop taking money from drug companies. Because mm. I know that a lot of these people who are responsible for making these guidelines are taking a lot of money from drug companies. So that would be my first thing. You know, if you want to, if you really want to know my opinion, what, what, what do you want us to do? Well, stop taking money from drug companies would be my first suggestion. I wish I'd said it. I hadn't, didn't have the balls to say it at the time. It's always the way, though, isn't it? You look back on those situations and think, God, I wish I'd said that. Wish I'd said that. But yeah. you know, um, I think that the medical profession is 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 going to resist this change. Uh, it goes mm. again. First of all, because we have to admit that we are failing our patients. We don't like that. Mm. Second of all, um, blaming things on fat is a really, really, really good way of not having to do too much work. And we are massively overworked. And I will say that we are massively mm. overworked. So to just kind of go, you know, instead of going, oh, you know, I'll do an X-ray and I'll do this and I'll do that, and we can just be like, well, lose some weight. That actually takes a lot mm. of um, the pressure. Responsibility. You're right? almost sending people back home to just deal with it themselves, aren't you? Yes. And it's that's a cost saving, I guess. It's cost kind of, saving yeah. and a lot of the times you know when you're denied an operation because 
of your BMI. It's got nothing to do with anaesthetic risk and everything to do mm. with the fact that they're just cost cutting. So, mm. you know, it takes the cost, it takes the pressure, it takes the, you know, it takes the responsibility. And, and also doctors don't like to not know the answer. And so often a patient will say, you know, what's causing my symptoms? And I don't know. And mm-hmm. I, it's, it's not a comfortable thing to be able to say, you know, I went to medical school and I've been working for 20 years and I have no clue why you're in pain yeah. or, or I know what's wrong with you, but I don't know how to fix it because there's yeah. no cure for this. And so that's a very uncomfortable thing. And again, that's a long conversation to have with a patient. That's admitting your own failings. That's, you mm-hmm. know, a dent in your own pride. So doctors like to be able to say, oh, it's just your fault. It's your yeah. fault. You shouldn't yeah. have done. You, mm-hmm. you know, if you just go away and lose some weight, you'll make yeah. it better. There's no evidence to show that, but it's just easier. And I, but I think the general public still don't actually understand that there's no evidence to support that that weight loss is 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 not just you know not the answer but not sustainable. Right. Um. Even if symptoms do improve as a result of weight loss, it's still not a long term solution, right? And it often comes at so many costs in and of itself. Yeah. Um. So. What I want to ask you, because I know our listeners would be really, you know, I have, they ask us this all the time when they go to a doctor's appointment and they feel like they are not being listened to, they're being stigmatized, they're being discriminated against. What's your, thus far, I've always kind of said, you know, Reagan Jaste in in the States is like brilliant at coming up with retorts to that, but that is very much based in the sort of U.S., medical industrial complex right what's great about you is you understand the uk system what what would your recommendation be if someone were to go to their doctors and just feel like they're being told to lose weight and that's the solution and they are just feel so defeated yeah so uh, it depends on what point in the consultation you are so at the beginning you know the, the, the way that a consultation should go is to begin with, a doctor should ask some questions and get, get what we call a history. Uh, then they should examine you. And then they should, if they need to, arrange some investigations. And then they can come up, you know, once they know what the problem is, so they might know on the day or they might send you away and say, come back. Um, then we're, we're getting into the management plan. So a diagnosis followed by a management plan and a follow-up. That's the kind of course that we take. And see, doctors are failing their fat patients in every step. So they don't take an adequate history because you've walked in and they've decided this problem mm-hmm. you know you walk in you say my knee is hurting and they're like it's because you're fat it's nothing yeah. to do with you being fat it's because you yeah. fell and injured your ACL or you know whatever mm-hmm. but you know they've already decided so they're not taking an accurate history so at that point in time that can be very frustrating to what people I say you know they do have to listen so it's quite useful to have everything written down on a piece of paper because if if they try to guide you, they will ask the questions they want the answers to. So you come in and you take hold because you, you set the agenda. We're supposed to be following you. That's that's the rules. That, I mean, we don't do a very good job of it. But if you come in and you say, I've got a list and then just start reading off the list, then at least they have to listen to your entire history mm-hmm. when it comes to examination if a doctor says he doesn't doesn't ask to examine you just be a bit cheeky and say aren't you going to examine me or did you want to examine my knee or start or start stripping off and mm-hmm. say you know it's my knee so you know start pulling up your trouser leg so they can see your knee because I love that. yeah yeah I mean what I, I'm shocked at how many people say I went to my doctor with abdominal pain and they didn't exa- examine me and I'm just like my god that's the most negligent thing I've ever heard in my life mm-hmm. if you go and see a doctor with abdominal pain and they don't put hand on your tummy you know, there's, there could be sentencing you to death. That's terrible. So, you and know, is that because like a doctor doesn't want to um, like touch a fat body? Is it because a doctor actually hasn't been trained to 
you know understand a fat body is I think part of it is internalized anti-fat bias it's not pleasant mm. so there are studies that show that doctors will um will perform far fewer um pelvic exams breast exams intimate examinations on, on fat women especially um I think it's partly because they decided I already think it's because of your weight was the point in examining you um I think partly it's time you know time yeah, saving doctors are often you know trying to save time but whatever the reason it's not acceptable as I said history then examination mm-hmm. and then the same goes with investigations you know they may if they're if they're not investigating you at all if they if they sort of bypass the investigation stage now sometimes as doctors we don't need to we examine you and we know what's wrong so we say well I know what's wrong and we go straight to the diagnosis and I suppose as a patient it's very difficult to tell whether that diagnosis is is accurate or not because you've got to trust your doctors to a degree I think if the doctor says the diagnosis is your fat at that point in time I would say, well, are you going to do any investigations or, um, you know, ha- how do you know? Like, you know, you haven't done an X-ray, you haven't done an investigation. So you can push, you know, and even if you kind of say, shouldn't you be doing an X-ray? And they're like, don't be ridiculous. We don't do X-rays. You're not the doctor. So you're not supposed to know whether you're supposed to do an X-ray. So you can throw whatever you want out there. And they have the responsibility to say, well, no, I don't X-ray knees in this situation. Um, you do, by the way. You always X-ray knees, but you know. But um, but you know that. Do you know what I mean? Like you know, you might say, "Do I need an MRI?" Or like, "Do I need a brain scan?" And you know, often people say, "Do I need a brain scan?" I'm like, "No, you definitely don't need a brain scan." But this is why. Um, and a job, a doctor's job mm. is to say, "But this is why." And so the answer is not because you're fat. The answer is because we don't do brain scans. You know, on every patient, we only do them in this situation. So again. History, examination, investigations may or may not be appropriate, but it's always okay to ask. It's absolutely okay to ask. And, you know, as I said, if you've written things down, you could actually put, you know, question x-ray, you know, or you might say, you know, I've been on a group or I've been online and I, I, you know, this is what I think you need to do. Write down what you think needs to be done, question mark, question mark. Bring it into the conversation. You're well within your rights to do that. So then what often happens is we get to the diagnosis and the management stage. And the diagnosis is often your fat. Um, and uh, so here are the things that you have to know that you need to know. Number one, there are lots of conditions that are associated with what they call obesity uh, or they call them obesity related conditions. OK, that's true. There is an association. I'm not going to question that at all. But it does that does not mean that being fat causes that condition. There could be so many reasons why being fat is associated with that condition. And so there's two things you need to know. Number one, there isn't a condition out there that only affects fat people. People keep saying to me, um, idiopathic intracranial hypertension. That's not true. Actually, people who lose weight very suddenly can develop this condition as well. It's about sudden changes in weight. It's not about being fat. So there isn't a condition out there that is only seen in fat people second of all there is no evidence that intentional weight loss improves any medical condition over a long period of time there's just none and even the short-term improvements are not really massive improvements so even if a patient has some you know mild improvement in their knee pain you know if um their knee pain is caused because they you know um have you know something to do with the muscles or 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 maybe it's just that you just needed a bit of time and over that time when you've been on a diet you've also rested your knee or you've been exercising in a certain way and it got better but there isn't any real evidence that you know you can cure conditions through weight loss nonsense not diabetes none of that stuff that that only lasts a year and then you almost always relapse Mm -hmm. um so so that's two things you have to know 
So when a person says to you, it's because you're fat, that's never a cause of any medical condition ever, never. Because what I would say then is say my response, automatic response is, so this only ever happens to fat people, never thin people. So this never affects thin people because the doctor will go, oh, well, no. So how do you know it's because of my weight then? Like, I mean, if it affects thin people. Um, and then um, if a doctor sort of uh, tells you the weight loss is going to is going to improve it, you know, you can say, well, I a, know that weight loss is not sustainable. And, you know, you can quote the up to 98 percent of people within five years, um, you know, and two thirds gain more weight. You could quote up to two thirds gain all of these things that you probably already know and have mentioned on your podcast before. But it's not sustainable. It's just not sustainable for the vast majority of people. And also it has lots of significant negative consequences. So in the short term, it will impact your mood. It will impact your nutrition. You know, you're far more likely to get sick from a cold or from covid um it can it can impact you I and mean, it's certainly mentally um you, socially it will massively impact you so it has lots of negative short-term consequences and long-term consequences obviously we know that um it's associated with um what we call you know uh, yo-yo dieting or, or kind of weight cycling is what we tend to use the term we tend to use which we know is not healthy it's too much chronic stress being placed on the body chronic stress leads to all sorts of long-term problems mm-hmm. so we know that the long-term consequences so you can simply say well I'm sorry I won't accept that because I know that weight loss is not sustainable in the long term and has far more risks and negative side effects than it does positive ones so you could just be flat out about it um another good one to say is well how would you treat a thin person with my condition that's a really good one because you know if they're not doing an an x-ray you know well how do you treat a thin person with condition um there are a few other tweaks. I, I always suggest having an advocate with you if you can, um, because this is really, I mean, this stuff, right? I struggle with this stuff. Yeah, I, I do struggle. Yeah, yeah, we are experts yeah. and we struggle to say it to a doctor. It's yeah. much, much harder if you, um, yeah. for everybody really. So Because it's, it's trauma, right? Yeah. I feel like when yeah. I sit in a doctor's surgery and talk to them about my plantar fasciitis, which yeah. I've been told like lose weight and it will oh. fix it. And I know that not to be true and even if it were true it's not possible and I become mute in those situations even though I know all the statistics I advocate on behalf of other people like you know it it doesn't negate this feeling of shame when you're in that situation because of the power dynamic right um but the other thing I want to mention just linking a couple of things you've said there like if people aren't taking an adequate if doctors aren't taking an adequate history right and then the treatment plan is weight loss then what's happening a lot of the time that I see with with my clients is they're given a treatment plan that is um incomplete sort of conflict to something that is in their history which most women particularly as you say 34 in their 30s and 40s who um have been told that their body's a problem most of their life you're dealing with someone with a pre-existing condition of disordered eating but i don't think disordered eating is recognized as a pre-existing condition because right. it's so normalized right? right and isn't that interesting how you know we have pathologized fatness and you know i i will say to people time and time again i do not believe this is a medical condition I cannot I refuse to for multiple reasons number one it only became a medical medical condition you know 20 30 years ago and the timing was a bit suspect because it all linked in with drug companies and drug companies agendas and insurance companies in the states Mm -hmm. so aside from the history and the the suspicious kind of behavior the only way to diagnose quote-unquote obesity is to use the body mass index 
And the body mass index is absolutely not fit for purpose. I tell everybody it has a 50% false positive rate and a 30% false negative rate. It is highly inaccurate. It's highly dangerous. And actually the people who are most at risk out of all of us, actually, we the, those of us who have a higher body mass index, we experience the most amount of trauma, no question. But the people who are at highest risk are people with a quote unquote normal BMI because 30 percent of them are cardiometabolically unhealthy and they think they're not. And that is actually the danger from a medical point of view. So actually, whilst I am mainly advocating for you know, fat people and, and talking about medical trauma, um, the the BMI itself is highly dangerous because it's missing out all the people who think they're healthy and they're not healthy um so how can you have a medical condition and the or a condition of any kind and the only way to diagnose it is based on the BMI Uh, you know we could talk about the BMI for hours and hours it's useless but yeah um it really just speaks to this idea that fat phobia harms everyone right yeah yeah it harms everyone is what you're what you're saying Yeah. yeah could you talk to us a bit about your campaign um so I wanted to do something the first thing I wanted to do was was create a resource and I think really that's as far as I've got I really want to make it more of a campaign than it already is but I stalled because it's just one person and you know things her life happened and I'm moving and stuff but the first thing I wanted to do platinum the first stage was to create a resource which I've done it's www.noway.org way is spelled w-e-i-g-h um and um I wanted to create a camp uh, a resource for both patients or people and for professionals and so that is basically what I've done um if you are a professional you can go on there and you can um read all about um sort of my the 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 four main things I talk about is why the BMI needs to be scrapped immediately um why um weight centric or weight focused care is unacceptable and needs to end um why weight stigma is so damaging and finally why weight loss prescriptions are absolutely unacceptable and unethical so that's the bits for professionals so if you're any kind of professional you don't have to be a doctor you can go in there and I've linked loads of kind of resources and papers and where you know all the kind of kind of information that I use or the papers I I gather I I link them all into that if you're a person just a regular person um, who is going to see their doctor or health professional and wants some help advocating for yourself like it's all there and the idea is like there's even a QR code that you can literally just bring up the web page and just if you need to on your phone hand it over to your doctor and just be like you read that like I'm not even going to say it out loud because I can't because I'm frozen in place right now but this is what I want to say Um, I've got some um, Um, like uh, sheets like pdfs that you can just print out um, which basically say why I will not accept a weight loss prescription why I and why I don't why I refuse to be weighed why um, all of these things you know specifically for patients with certain conditions like diabetes I've I've done that and I really want to do more because you know there are specific conditions that I think people need a lot of help advocating for themselves with Um, Reagan Chastain you mentioned does incredible work and has um, created the Hayes Health Sheets which are just as good in the UK as they are in, in America and um, I actually work with her so I'm like uh, sh- she does all the hard work and I just do a little bit of editing at the end um, but um, I, I cannot you know I cannot praise these documents enough so uh, those are really useful things that you can look at as a patient but you you know you as you said no matter how informed you are it's it, it's almost impossible 
to 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 deal with and and, and you, you know mentioned trauma and that's the most important thing is that it's the trauma and I think um you know we're talking about my progress through you know where I started off with a weight loss blog and then I got into anti-diet and then I started talking about fat liberation and medical weight stigma and trying to challenge that but I've got to the stage now where I realize that it's more than that it's about medical trauma it's about trying to help people to who are being repeatedly traumatized um and you know the stigma plays a part in that but also as you say you know isn't it incredible how obesity quote unquote obesity is a condition that is widely recognized but disordered eating isn't isn't it incredible Mm. how we would measure your weight and your height before every hospital appointment to check your bmi but we will never ever ask you a question about disordered eating eating disorders are a very very serious condition Disordered eating is one of the larger, well, the largest, biggest risk factors for developing an eating disorder. So the fact that we are not checking like, all the time in every way, uh, you know, we are not asking these questions is desperately concerning, but actually says a lot about the society we're living in. We, we want to measure your weight. We want to treat you. We want to pathologize your fatness. But we have zero interest in a condition that we is already well recognized, which is eating disorders. We have zero interest in in screening for them in 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 trying to manage them you know we we actually think it's okay if you're a fat person with an eating disorder to tell you to lose weight in fact we encourage you to lose weight if you're a fat person with an eating disorder how messed up is that that's that's the problem that we're facing so this is medical trauma and it's something that i am very keen to get into um and in terms of working with clients in the future i you know i think that's where I hope to be able to do like one-to-one. I don't, you know, practicing medicine is very limiting within the NHS, but helping people to recover from medical trauma needs to be a thing. And it, yeah. you know, it doesn't seem to be a thing out there. So, yeah. That's amazing. Because I, I think quite often, you know, if you are a fat person going to the doctor and you maybe think you have an eating disorder, but you, there's a lot of shame there. And like you say, yeah. medical trauma that would stop you from even saying it and they're not asking it. So it's kind of... Yeah this kind of it just doesn't move anywhere does it and then you end up blaming yourself thinking well yeah you know the problem is me and and it just kind of carries on I I genuinely think that the vast majority of doctors don't understand that you can have an eating disorder in a larger body I think that they are that ignorant that they just don't think it's possible and I think that they think that if you if they do then it must be binge eating disorder and Mm -hmm. You know, binging, binge eating disorder is an extremely important eating disorder to be aware of, to understand, to understand the complexity and to be able to treat. But to assume that every fat person has binge eating disorder is is really unfair because I don't know what the statistic is, but it's quite low. The Mm. the percentage of fat people that binge. I have to say, I've I've never really had a problem with binging. I, I don't mean that in a sort of boasty way, but it's never been a problem. But I have had problems where I have massively disordered eating because I have been restricting and and that has caused quite a bit of damage not just physically but psychologically as well it's taken a lot of time to undo all of that damage and my goodness if I went to a doctor I mean you know I've just been diagnosed with diabetes so I was all primed and ready I was like come on I dare you <laughs> they were so nice <laughs> I think they knew what they were going to um but I just um the health care assistant said, we're just going to get you off on scales. And I went, oh, I'm just going to stop you there. I don't I don't believe in getting weight. And I refuse. So I think I said, I don't believe in it. I, did, I didn't say I don't consent. I always tell people, say I don't consent because consent mm. is a buzzword. Yeah. But I, I don't think I had the courage to say consent. So I said, I don't believe. And she was great. She went, oh yeah, that's fine. And they've not mentioned my weight since. So 
maybe that's just um I think that's that's privilege I think that that, that wouldn't happen mm. in most mm. situations I think mm. they do it because they know I'm a doctor if nothing yeah. else but yeah. you know you don't you don't have to even have a conversation about weight you can simply say I do not wish to discuss my weight I and you know I put it on my notes I've got a little card you can take in with you from no way that just basically says do not weigh me do not discuss yeah. my weight with me because there's yeah. never a good reason ever 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 unless unless you're losing weight unintentionally in which yeah. case it's always important and that's the other thing of course if you're um fat they will often go oh well done no unintentional weight loss is never okay you must find out what's wrong with you and if your doctor ignores that that's a problem they do that in any size body i've had experience of that in my family with it's been congratulated yeah no the person's in a straight size body um and i and i think that's the thing it does get dismissed so much and it's so it's so interesting um that it's so casually kind of dismissed as just something that's well aren't you lucky you know yeah and never investigated any further it's never normal so your your body is not meant to lose weight ever now it it could be something relatively benign uh you know it doesn't necessarily mean that it's something serious like cancer um but you know the amount of times people have missed diabetes it makes me furious because diabetes will as it gets worse cause you to lose weight it's one of the Mm. first that's what happened to my husband actually yeah Yeah, type two Um, but interestingly because his first sign was weight loss he thought he was he thought it was all great but I was like "Mm, okay maybe go and get checked out and he did and interestingly because he's straight size body you know army officers all this fitness and stuff they've never discussed his weight it's never been a thing it it was just literally oh well this is hereditary because this comes from your family Mm. um and it's just really interesting that 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 never happened whereas I've got friends who've had diagnosis and instantly they they're blaming themselves before the doctors even got there to be honest but absolutely and I I make it very very clear you know you there is no condition that is associated and then with diabetes this is very very clear now there are multiple studies that show um that it's not you know that actually di- insulin resistance causes weight gain so you're gaining mm. weight because you're insulin resistant so the issue is insulin resistance and that almost certainly starts in your sort of teens early 20s um and that's nothing to do with your weight and everything to do with your genetics and so people who have pcos for example again pcos starts when you're going through puberty it's nothing to do with your weight it's just how things go and mm. and you know there's so many things that have become pathologized now that that are just normal you know I've noticed a lot of this kind of obsession with um you know fatness and teenagers and you know until recently we just understood that that was normal like teenagers often get fat for they go through puberty you know I do, and my children all do the same thing where they kind of gain quite a bit of weight and then they shoot up like weeds and that's just what children are meant to do um and so we're, we're intervening at like really young ages, you know, sometimes as young as sort of you know, eight, nine, 10. Uh, this is terrible because we are then creating a problem where there wasn't a problem. Yeah. We just left these children alone <laughs> to mm-hmm. do their own thing. Just they them yeah. Yeah, leave them alone. Don't mention it to them. Just, you know, and it, it, it's perfectly it's perfectly possible to teach a little bit of gentle nutrition without ever talking about good food and bad food and, and you know. Hierarchy of bodies. And, yeah, and, 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 yeah. And, and, and don't eat this don't do eat this you know kids if left to their own devices are brilliant because they're naturally intuitive and if you just leave them alone they will naturally intuitively eat throughout their lives and be very healthy eaters and will settle at their very healthy weight if you leave them alone but most of us and you know this is what you're seeing in more and more generations that are going by most of us are not being given the opportunity to settle at our 
our what should be our set point weight yeah. so our set point weight is slowly creeping up and up and up and up and then you get to the, you know your 40s and this is it this is where I'm at I'm, I'm not changing I don't imagine I'll get much bigger um I don't imagine I'll get any smaller I think this is just probably who I am it's been like this for quite a while and I you know as much as I've tried to change it it's, it's not changeable can I ask you in terms of your own personal journey having come you know so far in the last few years how do where how do you feel now in as you say if this is your body um how do you how do you how what does freedom look like for you how different is it now compared to a few years ago so that that is the biggest thing for me I I you know I I amaze myself nowadays because just I never thought even two years ago I just never thought I'd be able to look in the mirror and I have never been able to look in a mirror and like look at photographs or you know like group photos I just hate it now I just I love it like I, I love being like you know in profile like you know with my body turned so it's like my worst angle and um and it, it's really difficult to get to this stage isn't it it's not something that um that you can force and I think it's happened really quickly for me because I was ready and also because I went from as I said anti-diet to um massively kind of advocating for other people um and when you start advocating for other people it you know you 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 begin to you're practicing what you preach right and you begin to believe it it didn't happen mm-hmm. overnight but you begin to believe it and it also kind of all of my social media interactions now and everything that I look at and everything I watch is centered around fat people so fat bodies have become very normalized and I actually you know if I'm watching a normal tv program now I'm like you know I just don't I just don't look at it anymore and think that's great I think that's useless there's no fat people in it I have no interest in this program so I changed a lot but um I think as you begin to to start advocating or um you know get involved in the social justice side of things you begin to really like love love your body you know those insecurities that you used to have disappear and you probably don't notice it's happening and it just suddenly you know when I'm walking along now I've got my big tummy hanging out and I'm like this is great this is fabulous I'm so comfortable also never try to tuck anything in again I was reading an interview with them Jamie Lee Curtis she was in a movie recently I don't know if you've seen pictures I I was furious because I thought she was in a fat suit because she's quite slim as Jamie Lee Curtis and and I saw a picture of her and I was like, I can't believe she donned a fat suit. I have a lot of respect for Jamie Lee. Well, she hasn't at all. She just simply said, don't tuck me. <laughs> so I think she's got like a, like, I don't even know if she's wearing a bra, but if she is, it's like not a supportive one. She's not got anything. She's got nothing pulling in her tummy. She's about as free as possible. She said it was the yeah. most liberating experience of her life. She talks about it so openly, but she told them, you make me look like that. Um, yeah. And she did it unashamedly. And I... I was looking at pictures and she she's she I mean she's straight size so she can say whatever she wants but but I think there is something about like taking away those 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 physical restrictions like you know those those that body shaping underwear or whatever it is and just literally letting it all hang out yeah that I found most exciting the more we can see just like normal bodies right in their in their in their you know just how they are that yeah it it helps all of us what does the future hold for you well I, as I as I um as I've said to people I'm moving to Scotland very excited so um, excited. Uh, and the reason I'm doing this is because I, I'm not sure oh I'm certainly not going to practice medicine in England anymore um we'll see about practicing medicine in Scotland I've heard good things but one of my main um focuses 
I, I mean, I'm going to continue with, with advocacy and, you know, certainly the No Way campaign. You know, stage one was to create a resource. Stage two is to start campaigning um, for changes. At the moment, it's happening organically. People are, you know, I'm doing talks here and there. People are interested. But, um, you know, one of the things I think is to go to the higher ups and, you know, to talk to these, these organisations that are responsible for practice and say, actually, look, this is your guidelines. You're in breach of guidelines you know you've got a, you've got guidelines for a reason if you're not following following them then then you know then you have to do so you have a you have a responsibility to change them so i'm going to try and push that in terms of the medical profession um also uh, you know want to get very much more involved in helping people to advocate them for themselves and then as i said from a client point of view i i really want to start i'm, I'm working on hopefully opening in the next couple of months and um, what i'm something that i'm calling medical trauma recovery and support which is all about helping people who just need I think to uh, find a space a safe space to unload a lot of the traumas that they have experienced at the hands of their doctors and other health professionals um so it'll it'll be mainly listening and advocacy and um it's it, you know I'm not going to be like well you need to have you know, an FBC and a use and ease and this and that, and that. I'm not practicing medicine. Um, I am helping people to, um, I suppose, yeah, supporting people and helping them to recover from medical trauma and finding a way to advocate for themselves or help them to advocate um, in the future for better healthcare. And so, you know, it's like a top down and a bottom up kind of like tactic. I hope. Sounds incredible and so needed, so needed. I think so. Yeah. And I think your expertise is just going to be so valuable there because yeah. it's it's such a unique expertise that most people working with clients one-on-one don't don't have that right so mm-hmm. um that's really exciting what other ways can our listeners support you in the work that you're doing well I think you know I'm not very good at organizing and it's it's, it's a real catch-22 right because what I really want is I want other people I want other people to come on board and to bring their own ideas and experiences and um sort of abilities to take on a lot of this stuff because it's you know I, I I'm happy to bring a bit to it but it's not it's not me this is you know this is beyond that so no way I'm hoping will be a, a campaign that lots of people can support or be part of or actually you know grow themselves but of course in order to do that I need to pay them I can't ask people to do things for free and people do volunteer but even organizing the volunteers is is, some, is, po- is posing a problem so I don't actually know how to fix that um I have set up a, a you know a funding page but um you know in order to pay people it would need to be a significant a, a decent amount of money so you can support financially which is a wonderful thing it's always, it's always gratefully appreciated but if you want to be involved in the no way campaign whatever your um background is and it doesn't you don't have to be like super knowledgeable about weight stigma and stuff like that that's not the point at all here um then yeah um I guess let me know you can email me through the website um and if anybody really like has ideas and you know wants to sort of give me advice then I'm always open I have no clue what I'm doing so I'm always open um so yeah I always welcome people getting in touch I've always found that these things happen organically um and you know I'm not a I'm a doctor that's the only thing I know how to do I don't know how to do anything else I'm not into PR or media or any of that stuff so people who come alongside me and go oh have you thought about doing that I'm always willing to listen because most of the time that's where I learn all my stuff from so get in touch 
Yeah, well, amazing. we appreciate you so much. I've thoroughly enjoyed um, following your journey and, and how honest and candid you are about the struggles of this work right because it's often a message people don't want to hear and I'm just in such awe of your resiliency around this and you know you keep going no matter what and you know I just yeah I wish you the very best of luck in the move and I'm super excited you're coming to Scotland (laughs) and I'm really jealous (laughs) yeah you should be Thompson, I am be because I visited and I visited yeah. on a really nice weekend and I loved it and yeah you have to visit again this time yeah, and make sure that we'll see you yeah well I'll see you as well because um yeah you should be jealous everyone should be jealous <laughs> Asha thank you so much for coming on our podcast we are really honored to have you and thank you for your time I know you've got so much going on so we do really really appreciate it and we'll put all the links to all that stuff we've talked about today in the show notes so people can find you and and support your work thank you thank you for having me Bye.